Welcome to Brains Out Loud, a podcast sponsored by Mental Health Global Network. I'm your host, Kelly Marzoli, and today we're here to talk about bipolar disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, eating disorders, and the frustrating process of getting a mental health diagnosis. We are so excited to have a special guest. Mary Skinner is here today, and you might recognize her from her viral TikToks that are focused on mental health. Her content is so empowering and has touched millions of people, bringing up groundbreaking topics such as body dysmorphia, mental health medication, and certain cultures impact on mental health. Her TikToks have been reposted by big celebrities such as Lizzo, Lily Reinhardt, and more. Mary, thank you so much for being here. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, my name is Mary. I'm 22. I'm from Virginia. Um, I'm a career writer and editor, but like so many people last year during the stress of quarantine, I started making TikToks as a way to have fun and express myself and to bring a little happiness to being stuck in the house every day. Um, and then body image and mental health are issues that are really close to my heart and they're always on my mind. And I started making videos about those topics to my you know, 20 followers and I, don't, I didn't think anyone would really care, um, but people really seemed to identify with them and my page took off. And my page now is all about destigmatizing mental illness. Um, I myself am bipolar and have generalized anxiety disorder and have struggled with eating disorders on and off for about 10 years. And I also make content about body image and body confidence and loving your body no matter what it looks like. Um, it's been a very surprising journey for me on TikTok because I did not set out to do this. I didn't think this would happen. Um, <laughs> you know, I made videos for my friends who I knew in real life and they were about like nothing. And then um, in October, I had one video that was just um, like me making a, a hip dips normalization post. It was just me dancing in a bikini at the river. And I was just like, this is a hip dips normalization post. And then it just took off. And I was so surprised by that. Um, but then I was like, well, I have lots more of those topics that I could talk about. And so I did. And then I had a couple more videos take off. And then here I am now and I'm still surprised, but I'm enjoying the ride. And I'm just going to keep going and, you know, see what I can do with this platform. I really feel blessed and grateful for everyone who's been supporting me. And um, I hope that I can make some kind of positive change with the videos that I'm making, so. Absolutely. And I think you're already making that positive change just to normalize things. And I want to take this time to thank you for being so open on your TikTok, but also in this conversation, because you don't see enough of that. We see so much perfect on these platforms. So I appreciate you leading from the front to kind of just be yourself and be vulnerable and talk about things that we all experience. Um, and it's really uplifting and needed right now. So what inspired you to turn the conversation to mental health? Was it going viral with that one video you mentioned? Or even before that, I know you didn't set out to mm -hmm. initially talk about mental health. Um, but what brought that to the forefront? Well, mental health is something that I never stop thinking about because I have mental illnesses. Like I spend all day every day thinking, okay, how, how today am I going to live life in a functional, positive, healthy way, even though I have these mental illnesses? So I think it was just natural that I started making videos about that because it's half of what I think about every day. 
Um, and then a big inspiration for me has been my own growth because I'm in a pretty decent place now, but as a teenager, I really struggled and I did not have anyone to look up to. And, you know, I was on the internet as a teen during like 2013 Tumblr ED days, you know, where mental illnesses were very romanticized, very glamorized, and no one really talked about how destructive they can actually be if you don't like treat them and recognize them. So that was a big inspiration for me, just trying to be a source of positivity for people or teens who are going through the same things that I went through. Um, and I also get really encouraged by my followers because when I post something very raw or vulnerable that takes courage on my part, because I do still get nervous when I post these things, um, if I do that and my viewers really identify with it, then it makes me feel like my videos have a good purpose and I'm accomplishing something positive. Um, and that makes me feel like I am using my mental health history for something bigger and greater. And that makes it a lot easier for me to manage my own mental health. Um, so in a weird way, like talking about my struggles to all of these thousands of people helps me with my struggles. Um, but mostly I think it's, yeah, just recognizing that when I was a teen, I did not have resources and I want to be a resource to other people who are going through those things because no one should have to go through this alone. Definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned like the shift in the culture kind of about mental health. When we grew up, it really wasn't talked about. There really wasn't education, um, especially I grew up in Catholic school. We had like one sentence about depression. Um, and there's a lot of stigmatizing stuff there. Um, but I think there's a lot more resources now for the youth. We've seen more public suicides. We've seen more people speak out, people like you. And that does take a lot of courage. It's scary. Even for me, you know, we don't have a large following, um, but I'm always asked to make TikToks on our page. And I'm like, mm -hmm. do I repost it on my personal? Are people going to judge me? Do yeah. people think I'm corny? Do people think I'm a 20 something year old still like on TikTok, but the youth <laughs> needs it. And those teenagers yeah. are the ones who need it. And they're also clearly very receptive. So let's talk more about your own experiences with mental health. You know, you give a lot of meaningful tips um, and normalization posts, but what was that journey like for you? It's been a very long and bumpy journey. I will say that. Um, so I have officially been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, seasonal affective disorder, and two eating disorders, which is a bit of a list. And that's the short list, actually. That's <laughs> the most recent condensed list, because as a teen, like, they told me I had everything, you know, because it it's, can be hard to get a diagnosis, which I'm sure that we will talk about later, just because it's such a big deal. Um, and as a, as a teenager, I was just diagnosed with an eating disorder and depression, uh, and that was a good start to my journey, but it ended up being inaccurate, and the treatments I tried were not effective, and it kind of made things worse. I didn't end up getting the anxiety diagnosis until I was in college, and the bipolar diagnosis was just a year and a half ago, right after I graduated. So it's taken a very long time, and in the meantime, you know, I was still going through those things. I was still having those issues. Um, I was an unwell child and teenager and just not functional for large periods of time. And I'm so grateful to have a proper diagnosis now so that I can be on the right medications and 
you know, try to get some of that control back. Um, but it, it breaks my heart when people message me on Instagram or something and they tell me their own experiences because I, I feel like I've been in those places individually. Like I've been dealing with this for about a decade and most of that time I didn't have the right diagnosis and I wasn't getting the right help. So I kind of feel like I've been through most of the stages that people with mental illnesses go through. And because of that, like, I feel like I could either let myself feel very down about that, or I could try to make something positive out of it. And that's what I'm trying to do is just make something positive out of it because it was, you know, mental health is something that is still very stigmatized and not talked about. Um, and that just makes people who are struggling like all the more reluctant to try to get help. So, yeah. And I think the internet especially can be such a powerful force for both good and bad. Like how we just talked about internet culture when we were teenagers, um, it very much romanticized mental illness, especially things like Tumblr where depression or, you know, um, the trope of the manic pixie dream girl or borderline personality disorder, like those things were seen as these almost fictitious, like beautiful, glamorous things. Um, and they're not, you know, I'm not to say that people who have those struggles can't lead beautiful lives, they can, but depression is not something that like 14 year old me should have been idolizing like that especially not when I had all of these issues underneath the surface that weren't being addressed. So I think it's important to be honest about the reality of what it's like to live with those conditions, but also to say that those conditions do not need to stop you from living a beautiful and wonderful life. So it's a delicate balance, I think. Between yeah, finding that middle ground between, you know, it's normal to have a mental health issue, but it also brings a lot of challenges. And I think that you you present that great balance on your page with showing a variety of different stuff. And it's important for people to know that it is a process. It is a process to getting help. And what was that like in terms of people involved? Like, did you see several different psychologists or psychiatrists uh, throughout the process? Were your parents involved? Mm -hmm. It's really, really important that people know, like, yeah. don't give up after one therapist doesn't work for you. Don't give up after you have one bad experience. Right. Recovery exactly. is not linear. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not linear at all. And I did not know that uh, as a teenager. You know, when I was, I think I got my first therapist when I was 15 or 16. And in my head, I was just thinking, oh, I have a problem. I'm going to go to this doctor. They're going to fix it. And then I'm going to be normal. I did not understand, like, the, you can't just take a pill and make it go away. Um, and so I really did not identify with my first therapist at all. Nothing against him. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just a very old man. And I was a 16-year-old girl. And we did not connect. And I think it's important to be able to, you know, feel comfortable and friendly and just safe with your therapist so that you can be honest with them and actually get the help that you need. Um, and I just didn't have that with my first or my second or my third therapist for different reasons. Wow. So I've had, I think, five therapists, um, one psychiatrist, which I started semi-recently, actually. And then also I've seen um, some psychiatric nurses throughout this whole process. So it, it takes a village. Like I affectionately refer to them as my mental health team because I do feel like I have 
this big team of people supporting me and trying to get me the help that I need. Um, but it takes, yeah, it's, it's a lot, but it's also so worth it. And I feel like I don't want anyone to hear, oh, she had to go through four therapists to find one she liked. And then, you know, be put off by that because it is a process, but it is worth it. Like nothing, no, like nothing that anyone else can tell you is going to be better than what a good therapist can tell you. I, I believe, or at least that's been true in my life. Like this is their whole job. Um, so even though it's hard to find the right one, um, I would still encourage everyone listening to start that process if they're able to. Definitely. And not give up on it, like have faith in the, in the journey. And I like to look at it like dating, you know, you're not going to click with the first person you go on a date on with, like maybe you will, but ultimately it's building that bond with a person. And I also would encourage everyone to give it two sessions, give it some time and specifically put more effort too into finding that person. There's so many resources, psychology today, where you can put in stuff you specifically want to focus on or filter it to find the right person. I've used psychology today so many times because after my first few experiences, I realized that the type of person I feel most comfortable is a woman who's like 25 or 30 older years older than me. That's just the the type of person that I get along the best with. Um, And you can, yeah, you can put those things into psychology today. You can be like, I live in this area. I want this type of person who specializes in these issues. And then it'll bring up a list for you. It's a wonderful resource and I use it all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that too about, you know, the specific person that's right for you because maybe some females want a male and maybe some, you know, LGBTQ people would like someone with that specialization um, or that ally. You can find that. Yeah. Definitely. A A therapist doesn't have to be like an 80 year old man in a dark office and you're laying on a couch. It can be so much more relaxed than that. You can even do therapy on the phone now. Um, something that has, I've done during COVID is just FaceTimes with a therapist, or you do like a video call, kind of like a Zoom. And that's nice too, because sometimes when you're having a bad mental health episode, getting out of bed and getting to the therapist's office, sometimes more than you can do. So I think moving forward post-COVID, I think a lot of more, more therapists are going to do virtual sessions like that. Certainly. COVID's been triggering for mental health, but it also has made it more accessible. And for me, I love not having to drive to my therapist and just logging in. I'll like set, I'll do it in the morning and I set my alarm for literally like five minutes before and even have time to zoom, to snooze my alarm a little bit and just like hop on. Um, you know, it can be awkward maybe to start virtually with someone, but it's still worth a, a shot. And especially we don't even know the repercussions of COVID. How is this going to affect overall mental health in our society? Um, so it's important that anyone who's listening, you get ahead of your mental health, mm-hmm. whether you think there's something wrong with you or not. And it doesn't have to be, you don't even have to have a mental illness to go to therapy. Like there's so many benefits. Um, can you talk more about your experience with therapy, regardless of your mental illness, but more in terms of your self-growth? Has that helped you build confidence and get to the place where you are, where you can share your, your soul with thousands of people? So I think therapy can be useful for literally everyone, no matter if you have a mental illness or not, because sometimes I'll go to therapy and I'll talk about issues that are specific to my bipolar disorder. Like I'll talk about 
a manic episode or something like that. But sometimes you go in and you say, you know, I had a really bad day at work today and I'm just feeling annoyed. Or you say like, I'm having an issue with a friend and I don't know what to do. Like sometimes you just talk about life things that are difficult to process or that you need a second opinion or you need to talk to someone who's outside of your regular circle and who won't judge you. Like therapy is useful for all of those things. Um, with me personally, I would say that the way that therapy has helped me is it's forced me to be very introspective and honest with myself about my behavior. Uh, and that has been good for me because like I said, I'm bipolar and I go through manic and depressive episodes and it can be hard for me to identify when an action of mine is something that really represents me or is an action that I'm only taking because I'm going through an episode. And when you're manic, um, you can very often, this presents in a lot of people this way, you present as very irritable, very angry, or very high energy, you get bored easily, things like that. And so I was really struggling with feeling connection to people because I just, I just be like, why am I always getting angry at people who don't deserve it? Like, why am I struggling so much to feel close and vulnerable with people? And I didn't know that that was because I was going through manic episodes during those times. So, you know, you might have a habit or a behavior that makes you feel bad about yourself that you just think, oh, this is a part of who I am and it's bad and I feel bad about it. But it might actually be because of a mental illness and you could work to overcome that or work through it you don't have to feel bad about it anymore. And that has been a realization that has honestly changed my life. It, therapy has helped me have better friendships and better relationships. It's helped me do better in school. When I was in college, therapy really got me through some tough patches. Um, you mentioned that getting diagnosed took some time and this is a serious problem in mental health care. What were the barriers that stood in your way? I know it took you some time to find the right person, but beyond that, what systematic barriers did you realize? Yeah, so there's a couple and there's a lot of issues that feed into how hard it is to get the right diagnosis. I think the first is just getting the courage to reach out for help in the first place. Um, I grew up in a very conservative religious environment and there was a lot of shame surrounding mental health. And I was afraid to be open about my personal experiences for fear of bringing that shame onto myself and bringing that attention onto myself. So it wasn't until I moved to college that I was finally able to speak freely about what I was going through. And that's not just due to religion or anything. There's a huge stigma around mental health even now, and it makes people afraid to be honest what they're going through. So that's one challenge. And then the second is that healthcare is a privilege in this country and medical attention of all kinds is expensive and inaccessible. And that was a stumbling block for me, just being able to afford therapy and tests and medications in the first place. Um, a lot of insurance programs don't even cover therapy or cover medications. I've had a lot of issues trying to get my insurance to cover the cost or at least most of the cost of the medications that I'm on. And I've had to give up medications that were really working for me just because I couldn't afford them anymore. I've also gone long periods well, without being in therapy because I couldn't afford it. Um, so I think that moving forward, something that would be very helpful for people is if, one, if mental health was less stigmatized, of course, but two, if people recognize that mental health is a medical issue just like any other medical issue, and um, if healthcare became easier for people to, to access. Um, 
I think also mental health can be somewhat intangible. So it's hard to diagnose someone based off of verbal or written assessments of them talking about how they feel, especially if they don't have the emotional awareness to really identify how they feel. And that was definitely true for me as a teenager because I didn't know how to describe what I was experiencing, you know? So how could a doctor accurately diagnose me if like I didn't have the words or the knowledge to know myself what I was feeling? Um, so part of what I'm trying to accomplish with my TikTok platform is to just generally bring awareness to the everyday feelings of people with bipolar disorder or other mental illnesses um, to show that, you know, mental health is a medical issue, just like diabetes is, you know, you wouldn't shame someone for having a broken leg or for being diabetic. You shouldn't shame them for having depression. Um, and then also I'm trying to help people understand that the negative things they might be feeling might be signs of a mental health condition and that they should go try to um, reach out and try to access some resources for themselves because I think when you're taught to shame mental health growing up, you don't, you can't identify that, oh, this feeling might be because of a mental health condition. Um, so that's another thing that I'm trying to do with my TikTok. You definitely are. And even for me, I watch things and I'm like, huh, maybe that's the source of my pain. Or I definitely experience that. And a lot of young people can probably identify and then also see, okay, this person who's cool, confident and thriving deals with this. I can deal with it too. And it's, it helps start that conversation. And like you said, break down some of that stigma. That's like step one to encourage someone to get help is just to normalize it. And even for me, I'm a huge advocate, but my mom's always like, you know, you should read some of the posts you make and take some of your own advice because it's hard for me to admit something's wrong. It's hard yeah. for me to, and a lot of, you know, even healthcare providers who are nurses or doctors who are probably struggling with trauma during COVID that might not go get help, even if they have access, even if they have insurance coverage, um, and I'm glad you spoke to the lack of access in this country, and that goes beyond mental health care, um, but right. specifically impacts those with mental health issues. Because especially with my bipolar disorder, which I, I think I said this, um, that was only a year and a half ago. It was pretty recent. So I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of talking to my doctors about bipolar disorder, but it is still a condition that I'm seeking to understand. Um, but my diagnosis process for that involved a lot of blood work. Um, a lot of tests at the doctor's office. I think I was in the doctor's office three times a week for like three straight weeks. I had to give so many blood samples because they were testing me to make sure that, you know, I didn't have thyroid conditions, that my hormone levels were okay because they didn't want to say, oh, you're bipolar without ruling out any like physical um, health conditions. And so it was only after that process that they felt comfortable giving the bipolar diagnosis. But that was a lot of medical bills and people just can't afford that. I could, I had to get my parents to help me and I'm very grateful for them that they were able to, um, but I couldn't have done that by myself. And if it wasn't for that, I, you know, I still might not have the right diagnosis and be getting the right help. So it's a very, it's a process that the U.S. has not figured out yet. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, with new administration, there can be some prioritization on these topics. And you mentioned that your bipolar disorder diagnosis was recent. 
Um, what has that process been like for you? And what's one thing that you wish people knew about bipolar disorder um, as you come to terms with this diagnosis? Well, when the doctor and my therapist who were working together on me first brought up the idea that you might have bipolar disorder, my initial reaction was to reject that wholeheartedly because I had internalized stigma and shame surrounding that type of condition. Because in my head, I was like, oh, and I'm not saying this is true. This is just what I thought at the time. I thought mental health conditions are kind of like a hierarchy and bipolar is one of the big ones. And I don't want to have one of the big ones. Um, and that was just what I felt at the time. And so it took me a long time to accept that diagnosis for myself, even while I was going through the process of receiving like the tests and everything. Um, and that was something I had to confront within myself and overcome that bias within myself. And ever since though, I've been very grateful because for the first time I'm on the types of medicine that I need to be on. You know, the way that you medicate bipolar disorder is very different than the way you medicate just depression. I'm on mood stabilizers, antidepressants, um, I'm on anti-anxiety medications, and you have to find the right cocktail, the right mix of those types of pills so that you can have the best outcome possible. And if, you know, it's important to have a professional do that for you because they're very tricky. Um, ever since then, however, I can just, I can so tell a difference. The last year and a half since I started the mood stabilizers has been the most productive, the most functional year of my life. Um, and uh, I have still had issues. I've still had bad weeks. I've still had, you know, an episode or two, but they've been so much more manageable. Um, I had a couple issues in my late teens and while I was in college with being very suicidal and I had two attempts. And in the year and a half since I've started bipolar treatment, it has helped me come so far and it's helped me analyze those times of my life with such clarity. And now I feel well equipped to take on the new challenges that I know will come my way because everyone is going to go through hardships and everyone's going to have rough patches. But for the first time, I do feel prepared to take those on. I feel like I don't feel worried that they're going to you know, knock me out or completely. Um, and that is something I did not have before medication and before the right diagnosis. So I'm so overwhelmingly grateful um, that I have found a pretty good mix of medications and a good team. Um, and I want that for everyone else because I know it's so hard to get. That's fantastic that you're already seeing improvements and that it's already improving your mood. And thank you for sharing about your suicide attempts. I think it's great for people to hear that too, for you to be able to reflect back and see, you know, okay, I was in a bad place then and I'm better now. And you're living proof that people can get better and that if anyone's listening to this and feels like that, that there's hope for them too. And through the right process and support, people can get better. There is, you know, more to life. There is a life to be lived. Yeah. And, um, and there's no one reason why I've improved either. You know, I think it's definitely been the combination of therapy, medication, and also just the personal work that I've been doing on myself. I've adopted better habits for myself and I have 
made the effort to be very honest about how I'm feeling and how I'm doing. So it's all a combination of all these things that can help you get to a better place. And, you know, I don't want anyone to look at my page or watch my TikToks and think, oh, she has it figured out. She has it all together. I definitely don't. Like, I definitely don't. But I, I am better. And that is something I didn't think was possible even just two years ago. That's great. And it's important that people know that you don't have it all together and that you can still speak on it and you can still help other people while also still having that relatability. Like she's just a normal person. She struggles too. And I think that's why you have gone viral and why so many people have, you know, championed behind you because you're authentic and because you don't hold back you know, probably the most insecure posts of yours are the ones that resonate with people the most because there's not that many people that are willing to put themselves out there. There's a difference between like, here are some mental health tips and like, you know, touching your body, showing your body and beyond, um, you know, body dysmorphia, but even just the way that you've spoken about your medication and your process. Um, thank you so much. The world needs more people like you that are so open. Thank you. Uh, it's still, it can be tricky, especially with navigating like the comment sections in my TikToks because most people are very supportive and very encouraging. But of course, you're always going to have people who make hateful comments for no reason. Um, so I've also had to be honest about when TikTok is negatively affecting my mental health and when I need to put it down for a couple days or something. And I've done that a couple times. I'll be like, okay because of maybe this, this comment was triggering to me, maybe I'm going through something personally, but I do need to just set it aside and I'll come back to it when I'm ready. And I'm always honest when that happens. And I usually post a video about it, just saying like, you know, I'm not trying to hide my struggles from anyone. I'm just going to take care of myself right now. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. It's good to have those boundaries because unfortunately there are trolls and there are haters out there. Um, so I'm definitely glad that you're being um, authentic and normal um, about everything. So your bodies that look like this also look like this. TikTok went super viral. So what was that like for you? Um, it was definitely an epic moment for body positivity and for mental health in general. Thank you. Uh, it was very exciting and overwhelming. Lily Reinhart posted me on her Instagram story maybe two days after I posted it. And I... Like, I thought I was going to have a heart attack and die right there. I could not breathe. I had to take all of my anxiety meds at one time. I was like, this is insane. Um, and the first reactions to that video were hugely supportive and encouraging. Um, and that video grew my page a lot. Uh, I was blown away because I filmed it in like five minutes. I had literally sat down to film it and I was like, oh, I don't know what I want to post. I don't have any ideas. I'm not feeling creative. And then I filmed that. And I didn't think much of it. And the next thing I knew, it had millions and millions of views and celebrity attention. So it was very exciting. Um, however, in the time since, there's been a growing amount of discourse online about the origins of the body positivity movement and how it was created by fat activists. And so smaller built people should not be monopolizing that conversation. Um, so I've been listening and accepting the criticisms and education um, and I stopped labeling my content as like specifically body positive because that's the name of a certain movement. And so now I use terms like body acceptance or self-love. So that video has not only been very big for my page's growth, but for my own growth and my understanding of how to be a better advocate for loving your body without 
appropriating movements that were not, you know, designed for me. Um, but I am still so proud of that video because I've gotten thousands upon thousands and thousands of comments and messages from people saying that it helped them and it definitely went bigger than I ever thought it would. All of these huge TikTok creators um, remade it and even though like along with that video there was some criticism um, and I did have to like address the fact that I was misusing the name the body positivity movement. Um, I'm still proud of that video because of what it represented for me and for all of the people that it did end up helping. Um, and that was such an amazing thing. So it still gets a lot of views and comments like, and that was maybe two months ago. I don't even remember when I posted that probably two months ago. Wow. Um, but it still is circulating a lot. I get tagged in recreations all the time and yeah, it was very exciting and very educational. And I have tried to, um, definitely listen to that discourse with understanding and just be a better advocate for eating disorder recovery and body image in general. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome and well-deserved, you know, attention for sure. And I love that you're so open and willing to kind of evaluate the situation um, and the way that it may be taken by others. Um, that's definitely a very courageous thing to do and self-reflective. A lot of people would just be like, you know, my intentions were good. Why are people, you know, upset about this or that? But I'm glad that you did your research and you are being a great advocate by seeing, you know, the different um, perceptions and making it your own. I love, you know, self-love, body love, um, mm -hmm. starting your own movement essentially and people are recreating it left and right. I see it all the time and I'm like, yes. Um, <laughs> And just of things to go viral instead of silly dances that we see all the time. Like it's important that there's a meaningful message out there that's getting attention like this. Mm -hmm. um, so what's your best advice to someone struggling with body dysmorphia or struggling to find that body love, self-love that you're talking about? So I have a couple tips. Um, the biggest one, I just want to say as a disclaimer, nothing I say is going to be better than what a therapist can tell you. So if you are able to definitely reach out for professional help, um, see a therapist, talk to a doctor, something like that, because um, in terms of mental health conditions, body dysmorphia can be very difficult to overcome on your own. But my personal tips and things that help me, and I'm not just saying this, this is literally what I do and has helped me overcome so much body dysmorphia. Um, I think it's enormously helpful to follow other body acceptance or self-love accounts and unfollow people on social media that you compare yourself to, no matter what they look like. So if, I don't, it doesn't have to be my account, but accounts like mine are all over the internet right now. Um, and that genuinely helps. When you see someone else who looks like you loving themselves, it helps. And I would say, you know, look at your friends or family who are around your size and realize that you would never think those bad things about them. So why are you thinking them about you? There's such a, a double standard with body dysmorphia because you could literally look at someone else who looks just like you and not think that they look bad, but then look at yourself and be like, well, but I look bad. Um, and so try to recognize that behavior within yourself and speak to yourself gently the way that you would speak to other people because you deserve that kindness, you deserve that gentleness. And then another thing that I do, and I try to do this every day, is I try to ground myself in my body some way so that I feel at home with it. A lot of times with body dysmorphia, you feel such a disconnect 
from your own skin that it, you just don't feel comfortable. So things that help me ground myself would be like yoga, meditation, breathing exercises, um, healthy exercise, not if you're going to do it and like as a form of self-punishment, only if you can exercise and have it be an expression of self-love would I say do that. Um, even if it's getting tattoos, piercings, buying clothes that you love, just making yourself feel at home in your own body any single way that you can. Um, and over time, and you know, if you are practicing speaking positive and kind words over yourself, you're grounding yourself, you're getting help, over time it really does help because it has helped me and it's worked for thousands of other women. Um, but it is a process, but it's so worth it. Yeah, it definitely is worth it. Um, and I'm, I like what you said about exercise. I like what you said about feeling grounded because it literally causes discomfort. Like when you hate your body and you hate how you look, you feel it. Your body feels it. Your mind knows it. Um, so yeah, those are really good tips. Yeah. When you are having a bad body day, like body image day, it's almost like you can't get anything else done because you have to use your body to do everything. So when you're actively hating it, it's like it hampers your ability to do even the most simple of tasks. So that's why connecting yourself back into your body is so helpful. And for me, that's usually through light exercise or meditation, um, looking at accounts that have bodies similar to mine on them because then I can be like oh well they look good so I guess I look good even if I don't feel good right now and then honestly buying clothes when I'm wearing a pretty outfit I feel about a thousand times better in myself <laughs> so only do that if you can but shopping definitely helps me yeah treat yourself when we feel good when we look good uh it it affects our motivation for sure. And that's why when we're talking down to ourselves, all this negative self-talk, it makes sense that it would make us feel unmotivated. Sometimes even just taking a shower helps because when I'm clean and I smell nice and I, you know, that like scrubbed clean feeling out of the shower. Yeah. You feel like, okay, I got this. I can do this. So yeah, just try to identify when you feel those little positive moments and then recreate them as often as you can. Yeah, do anything that gives you, you know, a nice boost of confidence for sure. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to someone who's struggling with any of these issues you've experienced? What's, you know, your best advice? Um, I would say, number one, try to have patience and recognize that getting help and recovery is not a linear process. It's not a fast process have patience with yourself recognize that one bad day or bad week or bad month doesn't mean that you have a horrible life um, and that there are good moments everywhere you just have to stop and appreciate them but be patient with yourself when you aren't able to find those positive moments and know that you will soon um, don't don't talk down on yourself for having bad mental health days because you're already going through enough and you don't need that extra negativity. Um, definitely reach out for professional help if you are able to. Um, I think therapy and medication, even though they are very widely talked about, are still the most helpful forms of mental health care that you can, that you can have. 
Um, don't be afraid of medication. I was for a long time, um, but don't be afraid. It doesn't mean anything about you. You know, you are not a lesser person for having to take medicine for your mental health. It's not shameful. It's not anything. It just is. It, you know, it's not positive or negative. It's just neutral. Same way that you would take birth control, that you would use an inhaler. Like it just, it's a health condition. And if you need to take medicine for it, then that doesn't mean anything. Um, and then I would say, yeah, I would say just be gentle and kind to yourself because your brain isn't being kind to you. So you need someone on your side and, you know, practice self-love in the ways that you can. It doesn't have to be bubble baths and face masks and daily manifestations. It can be going for a walk. It can be saying one nice thing about yourself every morning. It can be anything that you need it to be but really try to prioritize giving yourself that kindness that you deserve. Um, and then probably lastly, I would say cut out toxic people. It's a tried and true, but it's so, so helpful. If people around you are not supporting your mental health, then they don't need to be giving you input into how you feel about yourself. So if you're able to cut out toxic people, toxic friends, partners, you know, if you're dating someone and they don't support your mental health, then they don't need to be in your life. Um, so try to be strong and decisive when analyzing like the, the types of relationships that you have and just stay strong and it really does get better. Like, I know that that can be unhelpful to hear sometimes when you are really in the middle of a bad time, but it honestly does get better. I'm not saying that because it's a stereotype. I'm saying that because it literally does. You know, a year from now, two years from now, you have no idea what positions in your life could have changed, what new opportunities you will have come across that will make you feel so much happier. Um, and you want to be around for those. You don't want to miss out on those opportunities. So just try to hold on and be gentle. I love that. Things will get better. And everything that you said gives me so much hope. And I know our listeners will feel that too. Thank you, Mary, so much. All of your insights have been fantastic. And where can people find you? Let's plug the Instagram and the TikTok. Okay. So my TikTok is Mary CJ Skinner. My Instagram is also Mary CJ Skinner. Disclaimer, my Instagram is much more of a personal account. It's not like uh, influencer or content creator account. Um, I do respond to DMs on Instagram though. So, and yeah, if you go to my TikTok because of this podcast, definitely comment and let me know. Um, I'm very excited to have been here. Thank you so much for talking to me and for having me. This was a lot of fun and I hope that this helps somebody. Absolutely. I think it definitely will. And I encourage you, Mary, like keep public speaking, keep writing about these topics because you have such a way with words and it's so authentic. Like your public speaking is really on point. So thank you again for being here. Um, and I look forward to sharing this with the public. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mary. Have a good one. Bye. -bye. Bye.